to Beyond the Skyline. This podcast is dedicated to topics related to unidentified aerial phenomenon, UFOs, disclosure, and to experiencers of all kinds. I'm your host, Sheila Seppi, and our guest for this episode is Barbara Lamb. Now, Barbara is a regression therapist, a researcher, and an author. She has regressed thousands of people to experience their past lives or to paranormal experiences, including visits with extraterrestrial beings and to incidences in this life, which they're wondering about. She's also highly sought after as a speaker during conferences, workshops, and interviews. Today, it is my honor and pleasure to have Barbara with us. So welcome, Barbara. How are you? I'm fine. Happy to be with you, Sheila. Oh, it's always so good to be with you, even if it's on Zoom. I love being in your presence, but Zoom is also wonderful. I wanted to start out our uh, session this episode by asking you just a couple questions. And this first one, who knows, it could take up our whole time. But I wanted to ask you, what is your perspective on the ongoing discussions and potential disclosure of the information regarding extraterrestrial life by our government authorities? Well, that's a wonderful question. And we could probably go on all night about that. Uh, but I'll try to shorten it down. Um, I followed uh, a couple of the hearings that Congress had, and honestly, I was absolutely impressed with the amount of material, the truth that came out, a truth that many of us have known for a long time. Uh, I have been very involved in the extraterrestrial encounter work uh, by in terms of regressing people, as you mentioned. And I've been doing that since 1991. And I've done a few thousand people and even more thousands of regressions because some of those people come back for more than one regression. So I and those people who've had those encounters, we've absolutely been convinced about the UFO phenomenon, which the government is now calling UAP, Unidentified Aerial Phenomenon. So probably in this talk, I'll kind of switch back and forth uh, using those terms because I'm so accustomed to saying UFO and uh, knowing what that means. So uh, anyway, I was really delighted in hearing the hearing in Congress and the truthful people who came up and told the reality about this phenomenon and what certain aspects of our government have known and continue to know. So that even though many of us in the public who have followed this phenomenon and we knew that every single bit of it was kept secret by the government people who knew about these crafts that were crashed and so forth. But we knew that the government kept denying it year after year after year. So to suddenly have it come out in in such a public way, a serious, earnest, 
truthful way, I was really impressed. I found myself cheering from my dining room where I was listening to this on the on the computer. And um, just very, very happy to hear that there was a tremendous amount of disclosure. Now, the disclosure I'm talking about is in regard to the aerial crafts that have been seen, caught on radar, caught on, caught through telescopes, all kinds of means, and not about the beings themselves. So with everything that was said about these crafts, uh, nothing was really said very much at all. I'll tell the little bit that was said, but nothing about you know who they are, what they're like, what their intent is, why they're here, why they're what they're doing with people, or they didn't even mention anything about the occupants of the crafts. That's about as far as they went with that. Uh, but they they never mentioned how they are interacting with millions of people around the world and have been for oh a few decades at least several decades that that we know about and maybe even uh before that but anyway one of these men the, the chief witness to this whole phenomenon was a man named David Grush and he was extremely informative and wonderfully forthright you know he just sat there with a microphone and told the truth and answered all of the questions. And there were other people too, who gave excellent witness to this. One of the senators uh, really upholded all of this and and asked for our knowing more. So anyway, a lot came out of that. And so basically it was admitted that we do have these unknown vehicles flying in our skies all around the world. And it was also admitted that we don't have any vehicles like them, nor do the Russians or the Chinese or, or anyone. So they're unique, totally. And they're a mystery to us about how they can move at such incredible speeds and and they can plunge right down straight and stop just before the ocean. Or they can go into the ocean and they're seen moving along at great speed through the ocean waters, which none of our crafts can do. And um, they do all this these aerial tricks. And it was coming out more and more about pilots um, giving testimony and sometimes taking video or taking photos of these crafts that are near the airplanes as they are flying. So anyway, more and more testimony was coming out. And some of these vehicles, these UAPs, have crashed. They admitted that. Many of us have known about that, but they admitted that, which was good. And they said that these crafts have been retrieved from different parts of the world. And then the question was asked, are there occupants 
in those crafts. And yes, that was admitted. And it was asked, are these occupants flying these unusual crafts, are they human? And it was answered that no, these occupants were not human. Now, they didn't say what they were, but that was a very good indication. I would think that uh, the occupants were extraterrestrial occupants. And they asked if we had remains still of the occupants. And yes, it was admitted that we do have remains of these occupants. So they're definitely not human. And a big point was made about why have we not known this? Well, it came out in various ways that some department of the government, it did not name it, but some department of the government has been hiding this truth from the public. And there were various speculations about that. But um, it was definitely called upon to have more transparency about this whole phenomenon. And also transparency about who is blocking the truth. Uh, they felt that that various responses to David Grush uh, were that, well, how how outrageous that this truth about such a huge phenomenon, that that has been covered by somebody. It's, the information has definitely been blocked. It was admitted. So there was definitely an opinion among uh, a number of people in that congressional hearing that we get to hear more. Um, so they have been calling for more hearings of this sort, but this time in private, so that even more disclosure could come out to the select people who get to be at that particular um, hearing in private. So, so that's more. I think that there will be more forthcoming. Now, how much of that will get out for us in the public to know? Uh, I have no idea, but I'm glad that they are planning to have more hearings and that some of these witnesses uh, were able to say, well, I cannot disclose that in this hearing, but if we have a private hearing, I, I will disclose what I know. So I, I think that that's, that's good. This is a tremendously big step. It's also a very big step that witnesses to these unusual crafts have been encouraged to report these sightings and certain branches of the military, I think particularly the Air Force, mm -hmm. been almost mandated to report sightings of unusual crafts like that. Now, that is just so different than the way it was up till now, when anybody who had witnessings of these unusual crafts, they were absolutely ordered to be silent about it, to not tell anyone. And people who were known to have had sightings have had to take lifelong oaths that they would not 
share any of this information. And as we know, there have been a few whistleblowers along the way, like Jesse Marcel, uh, who witnessed the Roswell crash of remains and the bodies and the materials scattered about. And he finally, you know, in his very elderly days when he was knowing that he wasn't going to be here very much longer at all, uh, that he did share information about that. And that's been true of other people as well. But most of them have just kept that secret about the UFO phenomenon and their knowing of it, their, their way of knowing of it, their details that they knew, have been just keeping that totally private, even from their own trusted family members. You know, an oath is an oath. Right. right. <laughs> and some of them have respected that right up through their passing from this world. So I think that the encouragement for people to report the sightings is a very, very good move. And I think that it has the effect of freeing up so many people who already have had sightings, some of them quite vivid, uh, spectacular sightings, and they've been keeping it hidden, maybe They've told people like me, because I do so much work in regressing people to their extraterrestrial mm -hmm. encounters. Um, and uh, But they usually have not talked to very many other people. Another thing is that going on forever, I think, is that when people have been mentioning things of this sort, to other people they know or people they meet. Uh, those other people have reacted very unsatisfactorily <laughs> from the point of the view of the person telling about their experience or, or their sighting because most people just haven't believed in it. So there are many, many, I'm sure thousands or maybe millions of people in the world who've tried to talk about their experiences of not only seeing a UFO, but of encountering the beings from those UFOs. And so often they haven't been believed even by people in their own family, their own parents or their own siblings. And that has been really difficult for them. And in many cases, um, experiencers uh, whom I know have been more upset by people in their own family not trusting them, not believing them that these experiences that they had had were real. So for some people, that distrust and disbelief has been more upsetting than the experience itself of seeing a UFO closely or having an experience, an actual encounter with the beings. So I think that the more that this is known and admitted by the government, the more that, ah, oh, 
must be creating a sigh of relief yes. in so many people who have really had the sightings and or the encounters with the beings. So I'm I'm very, very grateful for that. And Barbara, it, I wanted to excuse me just a moment, but I wanted to ask you real quickly, um, as we're talking about craft, um, I wanted to ask if you have had any experiences with craft before. If you have had a personal sighting or uh, if you want to share some of your experience. Yes, I, I have had a few sightings which have been really exciting for me. The first one was in 1991, and I was attending a, a conference of the International UFO Congress and walking from the lunch building back to the meeting hall building, I I sensed something unusual, and I, I looked up, and they're probably only about 50 feet above me, I would guess, was a fleet of five UFOs. Now, each one was covered with a cloud, a perfectly lenticular-shaped cloud. And they all looked identical, identical size, identical type of cloud. And they were just sitting there about 50 feet up. And I was looking at them because they were a perfect UFO shape. And more than that, I felt a presence. I felt that I was being looked at, just like I was looking at them. <laughs> so I didn't see the beings through the clouds, which just totally fit the shape of the crafts, I'm sure. But it was a huge sense of presence, my awareness of them, their awareness of me. And there were about five people who had been walking behind me and when I stopped, they stopped. We all looked up, and nobody said a word. But after, oh, I'd say three or four minutes of just drinking in that experience and looking up at them, wanting to run back to the hotel room and get my camera and knowing that I wouldn't get back in time, maybe, maybe they'd go away. So I just resign myself to just staying, watching them, experiencing it. And then I left uh, in order to go in and hear the lecturer, Robert O'Dean, whom I wanted very much to hear. And the five people stayed uh, from where they had been behind me. And later on, I uh, bumped into them and they said, Oh, Barbara, after you left and went into the building, we saw two of the five crafts fly away in a straight line. They just broke the formation, flew away, and the other three just stayed right where they were. So that could not have been a matter of wind coming along and blowing them away. Uh, they they kept saying they 
flew away. You know, they weren't so, and then they stopped watching too. And they went on into the conference hall to hear the speaker as well. So that that was my first one. And that was incidentally um, about the, uh, the same year, I believe, that people started coming to me for regressions to some of the peculiar experiences that they had had, which turned out to be extraterrestrial personal encounters. So that was quite a year. <laughs> Wonderful. Um, another time, a little later in the 1990s, I took my experience through support group out to Joshua Tree National Monument in Southern California. And we had hoped to see a UFO because many, many sightings had been reported from that area. So it was just about dawn of the day that we were out there planning to spend the night. But just about, I, I don't mean dawn, I mean dusk, sorry. And um, so we were just starting to make a little fire for cooking our, our meat for dinner. And a beautiful sphere, an aquamarine beautiful large spear flew we could see it coming toward our area in the campground and flying in a very very straight line slow even steady straight past us we guessed it would be about a hundred feet up and a hundred feet out in front of us that's still pretty close a hundred feet. So it just it just flew right on by. We followed it until it disappeared over the horizon on the west. One of the ladies in our group uh, had some telepathic communication for a long time with extraterrestrial beings and lots and lots of personal encounters. And um, she received a message as this craft was just flying by us. And it said to her, we are not here for you. We are simply doing reconnaissance. <laughs> Those were the exact words. So um, anyway. They... What type of reconnaissance were they doing? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> there, It wasn't specified. So the experiencers in the group and they were all experiencers, uh, you know, felt, oh, well, okay, we're not going to be abducted. <laughs> but um, although if they had, uh, they would have been uh, very interested rather than traumatized. They'd done enough work with me to know that they didn't have to really be traumatized over those kinds of encounters. Right. So that was that. And then... Um, those were the most close and remarkable ones. But I was speaking at a conference in uh, New Mexico, Dulce, New Mexico. They had a UFO conference, which apparently they had had for the two previous years, too. And I was having lunch out on a porch of the hotel where the conference was. 
talking to a woman who lived in Dulce. And she looked past me and she said, oh, oh, good, the UFOs are here. So I looked around and I would say, it seemed like about a half a mile or maybe a mile away, there were two very bright white clouds in perfect lenticular UFO shape. And I said, you mean those over there? And she said, yeah, they cover themselves with the clouds because they don't want to be noticed too much. But they always come when we have a UFO conference and they they come nearby and they listen. They want to know what the humans are saying about the extraterrestrials. <laughs> so I thought that was that was sort of sweet. And then I went to another UFO event a couple of years later in Reno, Nevada. And as we were driving through the city, we could see that there was another one of those UFO-shaped, absolutely bright white cloud covering of a vehicle. And that that was, we assumed, a UFO too. And that had come to find out what the humans were talking about it at that particular UFO gathering. <laughs> so I, I'm sort of amused in a way um, that they want to know what we're saying about them. Yes. Um, and and I can certainly understand that they would like, like to. They are so interested in us humans, mm -hmm. and they know so much more about us than we know about them. That's right. one of the things that just keeps coming more and more into my awareness with the the work that they do. I mean, they even know a lot about me. Um, I do not consider myself a regular experiencer of extraterrestrial contact, although I have had four such encounters, but I'm not a lifelong experiencer as most of the people I've worked with are. Right. But anyway, they sometimes when I am regressing a person to that person's extraterrestrial encounter, uh, there will come a point in the regression when the beings are doing something with the person and the person doesn't understand what or why. And I will say in the regression, I will say, uh, if you'd like to know what they're doing and why, you can ask them. You can ask them with your words, or you can just ask them in your mind. And usually the person has decided to do that. Mm -hmm. and, and then the beings telepathically answer back to that person. Like, for instance, if they're doing some sort of procedure with the person's body and the person asks what they're doing and why are they doing it, they will give a very clear, distinct answer, such as, we are studying your liver because we detect that there is a problem with your liver. Mm. That's one example. They've, different ones have given a number of different examples of what they're doing, or they're uh, we're, we're 
imbuing you with more energy so that you can do more effective healing of your fellow beings or or the animal beings as you choose or or whatever they're doing. Sometimes it's a very, well, it, it always seems to be benevolent right. for the person, although it doesn't seem so to the person. Right. Now, but, have you ever worked with someone who, after they have been regressed, has difficulty in accepting what they have experienced under regression? Well, I think that they're more amazed uh, when they're still with me. And uh, when they go back home, uh, sometimes I hear from them, sometimes I don't. But um, it may take a while to get accustomed or to be more accepting of what's happened. But usually when think, when a person is on a ship and something is being done to them, uh, very often it's a physical something and they may not know what it is and uh, they might be very, very frightened about that, you know, partly because it's so unknown and the beings are so unknown as well as whatever the procedure is that they're doing. Um, and and that's why I have uh, sort of developed this way of helping them to find out what that is, because the unknown aspect of that or of anything is what can worry us the most. So the more they know, I figure, the better that is for them. Yeah, so, um, well, people have different opinions about procedures such as having eggs taken from their ovaries for the hybridization program. That doesn't happen to everyone who has extraterrestrial encounters, but it does happen to many. And the same with men who have sperm removed. Um, I mean, all kinds of people have all kinds of different opinions about that. But when Many women whom I have worked with have realized after a while that they have hybrid babies, mm -hmm. or maybe they're even older by the time they find out about them, they're children or teenagers or even young adults. Um, they usually feel very maternal about those hybrid beings. Um some of them feel very maternal about them. Once in a while, it seems like there's a woman who's, you know, really hesitant to, to bond with the ba that baby when shown the baby mm -hmm. on the craft. Uh, so there's a whole variety of different responses. But many people I know who have had hybrid babies, now I'm speaking mostly about women here, of women experiencers, that they do feel a tremendous interest and even affection for those beings. And many women I have worked with have really wanted very much to have those babies be able to come here. They would like to raise them, even yeah. though they look a bit different, you know, than sure. human children. Um, and are 
different because they have so much of the extraterrestrial genetics in them, too. Um, but it, it's a really a huge phenomenon that I never heard of until in the 1990s. And, and for uh, those of our viewers who may not be familiar with the hybridization program, can you speak about that for just a moment? Sure. Well, it is a very enormous project going on on the part of various species. I don't know that all of the extraterrestrial beings who come to humans and do things with humans not all of them are involved in a hybrid program, but many different species are. So basically what they do is on one occasion, uh, they will come to the woman and either in her home or they'll take her on board their own craft, they will remove eggs from her ovaries. The woman usually doesn't know anything about this because the beings are are so accomplished at having people not be aware. So I... it's been going on for years mm -hmm. on the part of, of a woman. And it can even start during girlhood that eggs will be taken because we, we do have eggs very young in life. And, um, and then those are apparently stored, kept safely by the extraterrestrial beings. And eventually, um, an egg will be uh, combined with sperm having been taken from a human male. And so that's mixed together. In other words, conception. And at that point, they add extraterrestrial genetics, maybe even extraterrestrial um, body material and create an embryo. And then on a certain occasion, they will come and be with the woman again, take her or do this at her home when she's deeply not aware, deeply asleep, it seems. And they will implant that little embryo in her uterus. And they will leave that embryo in the uterus for about a month and a half to two and a half months, usually before three months of gestation. And then they will engage the woman again and remove that little embryo and uh, clean it up very neatly inside the woman. And she will realize maybe the next morning even that she doesn't feel pregnant anymore of course, that's a big mystery. And very often, uh, she will go to the doctor, and she may have already been declared pregnant by the doctor. And he will validate that, no, she's no longer pregnant. And of course, that's a mystery. And because it's right in the medical record that she had been pregnant. And um, often the doctors, of course, don't know really what happened, nor does she. And the doctor will say something like, well, sometimes the embryo pulls away from the wall of the uterus and gets absorbed in the rest of the woman's uh, body. So um, 
that just seems to be the explanation that she hmm. accepts and she accepts. I mean, what else can she do? So hmm. in the meantime, though, uh, this little embryo that's been taken from her is taken back to the craft and put in a glass tank of fluid, special fluid, and gestated for the rest of the nine-month gestation. And when it seems like that baby is developed enough, it will be taken out of the tank and wrapped up in clothing and raised in the air on the spaceship. Mm. Uh, women who have seen that sort of thing happen when they're on the spaceship, uh, they realize that, oh, there's a whole wall full or, or rooms full of walls full of these little babies uh, so that the hybridization program is a big one on that craft. And, and so those babies hybrid babies are raised on the ship and um and at various times they will bring the mother the one whose eggs were used for this procedure uh they'll bring the mother onto the ship and introduce her sometimes to the newborn baby mm. sometimes when the baby is a toddler and sometimes when the baby is you know, running around, maybe age four, five, six, and at, during teenage years, even adult years. And sometimes the the women realize that, oh, that's my child. And sometimes they don't. I've, I've had people come to me and we've done regressions and they explain these children who are sort of unusual looking from our standards somewhat human and yet not quite and um they haven't realized maybe for many years that oh that one they keep being shown um uh, and, and even you know left in a room with to sort of relate to each other um they they i mean i've had situations where the woman hasn't realized until that hybrid was nearly grown up that Oh, that must be my child. Oh, maybe that's what happened with that pregnancy. You know, so they'll sort of put the pieces together. Uh, there's more and more known about this now, I think, since the 1980s or 1990s, so that if a woman is pregnant nowadays, because more information is out and around about this sort of thing, uh, she might suspect that, ah, you know, and it's a mystery for some women because maybe they haven't been with a man for years and yet suddenly they're pregnant. Yes, you know? yes. There, there are so many phenomenon out there. And I wanted to ask you about another one. It's still in alignment with the discussion that we're having, but I know that you're also credited as, you know, being an expert in the crop circle arena. Oh, and yes. I wanted to ask your um, opinion and if you could share with our audience what you think the crop circles are about. Oh, yes. Well, my, my private personal opinion 
is that it's from beings out there in space. And these beings come and leave these beautiful patterns. They're absolutely wonderful. I've been in a couple of thousand of them. Uh, so I, I know from my own experience, uh, I think that they they leave them in order, well, for different reasons, several reasons. One is to wake us up as a humanity, to get us to wonder about them. I mean, how can there be a big wheat field that is just like any other big, beautiful wheat field growing, and suddenly... One morning, it's noticed that there's a great big pattern having been laid down in that wheat field, and it's a beautiful, beautiful design, and it has an unusual extra energy in it. And so it gets people to wonder, well, how could this be? Where could this have come from? What's this about? And many people, you know, look up in the sky <laughs> and just wonder, Huh. I wonder if it somehow came from out there. So it's sort of it's it's one of those things more than really anything I can think of that has opened people's mind, their curiosity. What are these? Where did they come from? And they're they're made so beautifully. They're such lovely patterns and exquisite geometries even sacred geometries in some cases. And some of them seem to have a meaning as if they know about some of the things important to us. For instance, uh, some of the crop circles are in the pattern of a Christian cross. And some of them are, or one of them anyway, was in the process of, of the Jewish menorah. Another one was in the Kabbalah, the tree of life pattern, which we have here mm -hmm. on earth in our books. And they made that pattern into a crop circle. <clears throat> so there are things like that. And then there are geometries uh, which have special meanings. And they introduced me to the whole concept of fractal geometry which I had not been aware of until 1996. And there was a beautiful fractal geometry crop circle laid down and um, was on a very public road. So loads and loads of people went into it. And that got me thinking about fractals and geometry. In fact, I never had cared about geometry at all until I began to see some of these crop circles that were such amazing complex geometries. And um, I thought, wow, this is a whole part of the world that I haven't known about. How fantastic. So um, it, it opens our minds to different concepts. And for people wondering where they came from, it, it's just like it enlarges our point of view. <clears throat> Excuse me, take a little water here. <clears throat> and um, so I, th I think it's that also because there's a special energy that is 
put into the crop circle from these other beings, I feel, um, the energy actually affects that part of the land mm. and it affects it in a good way. And it even affects the crop that it has laid down in a crop circle. And we find that the blades of the crop, whatever kind of crop it is, um, are just bent over very gently at ground level or just before ground level. And they keep their connection with their roots. Mm. So these plants all keep growing, ripening, coming to full maturity. And it's also been found from years of testing that the seeds at the upper end of the plants, when they're planted next to control seeds from anywhere outside the crop circle in the same crop, that the ones in the crop circle grow faster, stronger, sturdier, and even more nutritiously than the control plants. So something is definitely happening to the plants, and it's happening to the earth right under the crop circle, too, uh, because that has been shown year after year that in the new crop in that same field, there's always, you can see sort of an outline of, we sometimes call it a shadow or a trace of the old crop circle from the previous year um, showing through the new crop, even if it's a whole different crop. So we know that the energy stays in the land. And I know years ago, there was a man who had been uh, observing, noticing exactly in the field where a crop circle had been. And for eight years, he... He went to the same spot in the same field and was able to measure the original energy that had been left there by the crop circle. So it's sort of a lasting effect. And then there are theories, too, that um, perhaps these crop circles are aiming to sort of um, refurbish or reawaken the ancient energies around the ancient sacred sites, the ancient megalithic stone sites, which there are many of in England and other countries as well. But uh, many, many of the English crop circles are placed right near, almost next to uh, one of these ancient megalithic sites. Mm -hmm. So there seems to be there the ley lines and where the ley lines cross, that's considered a power point. And the ancient people in England used to be very, very aware of those earth energies. And they would make their roadways or paths first, which eventually became roads along the ley lines. And... <clears throat> Where the ley lines crossed, that's where they would build these ancient megalithic monuments, which in many cases later became the sites for the early chapels and churches mm -hmm. and eventually cathedrals. So, but in 
our day, <laughs> many people don't know, I think probably most people have not been aware of those energy lines running through the earth, the ley lines. So that's a lovely idea that the crop circles have sort of brought to our attention, that there are these energy lines running all through the earth. So, yes. yeah, there could probably be a lot of reasons why <clears throat> the crop circles are made, but um, I think some of the main ones are to wake us up, to enhance our energy when we go in them because we can feel it. And um, a lot of healings have been happening in crop circles. That's awesome. Yeah. yeah. There are many, so I many. know that that's been a passion of yours, so I had to ask you about oh, yeah. that. And then one other question that I have for you is with all of the experiences that you have had, with all of um, the sightings that you have also experienced, have you ever come in contact with a being yourself? Yes. Yes, I I have. And I will definitely say uh, the, the few times that's happened, they've all been very benevolent, uh, very fine to be with. Um, one of the, well, the most striking one really uh, was when one afternoon I walked into my living room and a bright, sunny living room, and there was a being standing there I hadn't heard anybody come in to the house. I thought I was there alone, uh, but he was just there standing in the middle of the living room. And he happened to be a reptilian being. And normally I would have been very, very frightened about having a reptilian being there because I'd heard some negative things about them from other people. But this guy just seemed like such a friendly, wonderful guy, safe. <laughs> and I I went right over to him, feeling happy to see him, you know, incredibly surprised, but uh, happy to see him and held his hand in a handshake position for a few minutes, I'd say probably five or six minutes, during which he talked to me telepathically. By the way, I, I'd like to just say that we don't necessarily think that we have telepathic abilities, but we can hear them when they talk to us telepathically, which must mean that we must have that ability too. Right. So when he was here, he was talking the whole time. Uh, basically, it was to um, validate for me that these experiences with the extraterrestrials that were uh, coming into so many of these regressions I had done, probably a couple of thousand by the time he visited. Um, <clears throat> and they certainly seem very real to me, but still, I'm a human. And, you know, we question everything. <laughs> <laughs> and when I wasn't doing this work for a while, when I was away in another part of the world, I did a lot of world travel. Um, <clears throat> once in a while, I would think, oh, 
you know, that work I do back home, I wonder if that could really, really be true. I think it is, but could it really? And <laughs> I'd come back home and work with the next person and be totally convinced that this is real. But anyway, they, way out there, presumably, in space or wherever they are, uh, they knew that this person happened to do that work. And also, you know, that I wondered once in a very great while, we just have that thought and wonder if this could really, really be true. So he said, I have come in the light of day when it's bright and sunny, so you can see me clearly, you're awake, you're alert, and so you will know without a doubt that this is real, that those of us from elsewhere uh, do come to certain people. Yeah, so that was basically it. And then he said that he comes to other people too, uh, that he and his kind, um, he didn't name their kind, but he said he and my kind, uh, come to other people who experience beings from elsewhere and who doubt it once in a while. They just can't believe it. They know it because they've experienced it, but they also just can't believe it. Doesn't fit into anything they had been taught. And so we, we will, one of us will come and just appear for a moment or two and then disappear yes. or leave, I think he said. And um, just so they know, oh, yes, okay, this 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 is true. I, I can trust that I've been having these experiences. Oh, so that's amazing. It was a very good experience. Yes. I'm very pleased that I had it. Oh, yeah. that is awesome. And so, you know, in kind of wrapping everything up today, are there things that you would like to share with people that might help them in the times that we're going through? Because there is so many doubts, yet there's so many thousands of people that believe, have their own experience, and then there's doubt. And then there's people who have these experiences and they share them with your family, their families, like mm -hmm. you mentioned, and they're scoffed at. Do you have any words of wisdom for these people? Well, anybody who listen who is listening who is one of those people, um, I just want to assure you that as far as I can tell, out of all these years of experience, uh, these events, these visits from the other beings are really happening. Uh, for one thing, I I feel totally convinced, going back to the basics, that these beings do exist on other planets. And they do, some of them uh, do come to planet Earth. Uh, we are a planet and a civilization, it's been said by one of the extraterrestrials, uh, of great interest because, for many reasons, but one of them is our quality of emotion that we have. It's not only our intelligence. Some of them are way more intelligent than than we are, but they recognize that we're doing quite well, uh, many of us people, in terms of intelligence. 
but it's very fascinating to them about our emotion and all that comes out of our emotion and uh, that they're amazed at things like our various arts, different art forms that we have. And this has something to do with emotion, but, but music, dance, figure skating, gymnastics, sports, I mean, all of these things that uh, that we have that we take for granted is perfectly normal for human beings. Some people get much better at it than than others. Uh, but they see this and they see crowds of excitements at, at sports arenas or performances, certain musical performances, and how emotionally moved, you know, hundreds or thousands of people are over the performance of one person. And um, I mean, it's it's really quite remarkable when you think about it, and especially when you think about it from another point of view, where the beings seeing this are probably not very emotional themselves. Some of them would like to have some of that faculty of emotion. But on the other hand, they can see that it causes a lot of hatred and war and competition in a very negative way, as well as the positive benefits from this. Uh, but anyway, we are of great interest. And the Earth, it has been said by one extraterrestrial being, has been said to have more species on it, on this one little planet, more species than all of the other species in the cosmos put mm. together have. Wow. I mean, we are so used to all kinds of wildlife mm -hmm. and different species of people. I mean, that just seems very normal to us. But with the other planets, they don't have it like that. Yes. You know, so we we definitely stand out. And and then just geographically, top topographically, uh, this is a very varied planet with all the trees and forests and oceans and sand dunes and you know rock and I mean just just the planet itself is amazing from the point of view of those out there whose planets are much more sort of monochrome and and um you know like deserty or hard rock all over and um we really are in an amazing place and they're very concerned a lot of them about what's going on in the world today and that wars are still going on and there's still greed and and treachery and the attempt to get control over everything they're they're aware of a lot of these things that we're going through and the monetary system which isn't you know has been so important here on earth it isn't even existent in some other planets in those civilizations they're quite intrigued about what we're going to do about all of this and of course there are a lot of us humans who think oh we want them to come and set it all straight and save us and they say look we are very caring and interested but it's up to you who live on earth to get it together set things straight 
rearrange things so that they can be the way that you would like it to work for all and not for some. You Um, know, I've often heard that we have one of the best of everything that our universe has to offer, whether it's, you know, topography or the animal life or the sea life or the human life. So, you know, for those of us who have had experiences, and of course, I can't speak on behalf of all of us who have had experiences, but for myself, I want to thank you for all of the years that you've dedicated for your tireless work and really the passion that you bring to educating people about not just extraterrestrials, uh, but all types of different phenomenon. So I want to thank you uh, so much for doing that. I want to thank you for being our speaker here today. So everyone, you have been listening to Barbara (laughs) Lamb on Beyond the Skyline on Conscious Awakening Network. So check us out on Conscious Awakening Network and on our YouTube channel, Conscious Awakening Network, and tune in every Sunday at 10 a.m. Mountain Time for more on UAPs, disclosures, and experiences of all kinds. So until our next episode, keep looking up. Thanks, everybody. (laughs) Thank you. Thanks, Barbara. Thank you.